Welcome to Leadership Talk, the official Waymaker podcast, the place for conversations about leadership, strategy, and technology that help make business improvement business as usual. Welcome to season three of Leadership Talk, the official Waymaker podcast. I'm your host, Craig Heinemann, and with me is CEO and founder of Waymaker, Stuart Leo. How are you, Stu? Craig, I am fantastic. How are you? I came in quite dynamic then, didn't I? (laughs) I'm excited. Stu, how's things been for you in the start of a new year, like up and to the right? More Uh, clients than you can handle? Economic outlook? (laughs) (laughs) Um. The journey of any business is always learning to how to reset sales. And, yeah. um, I th- you know, we're just like any other business in that journey. You've got to learn how to reset sales um, and find the wins you need to catch. Um, so, yeah, we've, with this quarter, this this half, um, we were stoked to end last year in the best position ever because, hey, it was the first year we'd ever ended in market, so you, you couldn't really have a better year um but we ended the year with um new customers and uh new parts of the world learning about waymaker and partners and customers in gosh i think um i don't know how many countries now but a lot um and uh and more than that what was cool to listen to customers talk about is how Waymaker is helping them lead and build better businesses. Mm. Um, and you really do realise that you don't have to do a lot sometimes, you just have to do what you need to do consistently. And yeah. um, that was really exciting to hear. So so New Year um, always brings a new set of problems, which are a new set of opportunities. Um, and we've kicked off the year rolling out some cool new tech in outcomes and goals and scoreboards and fun stuff. So uh, we're pretty pumped about the year ahead, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's it's cool. And you talked about at the start just the wind that blows, right? And we've we've used that philosophy or we used that language um, a lot on this podcast. That Jim Rowan quote that that says it's not hey it's not the wind that blows it's how you set the sail it's an it, oldie but a goodie isn't it, it is it? isn't it yeah. and um the wind that blows it would be fair to say especially like coming into the start of 2023 which is when we're kind of like you know recording this um yep. it's that the wind has changed for almost everybody and oh, yeah. the ability to set a better sail um is kind of like what we're going to talk about today that's right that's right yeah it's uh, it's the ability to undergo change, um, to change direction, to change tack, um, without without sinking the boat, without losing team members off the side, without you know um, without losing you've you've and and I think you know what makes a great a great team on a sailboat is not how fast they sail, but how quickly they can change direction. Mm. Um, that's that's how quickly they can trim the boat. Um, you know, that's the key. Decisions need to be made and decisions need to be executed. But if you don't know how to make decisions that are integrous and resilient to your character, um, yeah, you can you can make quick decisions that 
actually turn the boat around in the wrong direction mm. or turn it too hard too fast and it points in points into the water you know you can get yourself into all sorts of trouble so we're seeing a lot of organizations recognize that all the change and turmoil that we knew was coming um, has not just turned up at the doorstep, but it's left a nice big pile of poo um, with it. Yeah. Is that a little yeah. bit depressing? I don't mean to be depressing. No, no, no. Well, you know, we're just like, we're empathising. Kind of we're yeah. empathising. Is this called empathy, is it? This is empathy. <laughs> this is, this is part of it, right? We, go, we acknowledge the problem, we empathise, <laughs> and now we provide a solution. Oh, cool. What's, what's our solution, Craig? <laughs> what is our solution? Well, you, don't, you know. You don't stamp on the burning brown paper bag. That's what you don't do. <laughs> that's the first That's the first tip. I think we had a few. Uh, we did. That was a bonus one. But um, So, Stu, uh, you've been writing. Uh, some content over um, over the last over the New Year's break, hmm. um, and we probably wanted to unpack that a little bit more, do a bit of a deep dive. So this episode might actually be a little bit longer than the normal. Um, just talking about uh, some solutions to leading in hard times, solutions to leading when the wind is not blowing. Yeah, you know, you know favorably. <clears throat> um. I read some research for the second or third time just recently because I remember reading it 10 years ago going, wow. Um, and it was a really good piece of research in uh, HBR, Harvard Business Review, and it, uh, I think it was done by a corporate executive board. And they analysed um, the top 100 positioned companies over a 50-year period, so more than 100 companies, many, 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 many thousands of companies. Yep. And acknowledge that almost every company will at some point, you know, hit, hit a stall or a decline or a crisis moment. Um, and what was um, really interesting was that the big insight out of that research, not that everybody has that moment because everybody does. So just if you're in that moment or you feel like you're about to go into that moment, um, don't feel like you're anything special. Um, everybody, you know, everybody gets that. It's part of growing. But the big insight was that almost nine out of 10 reasons for failure or stall or decline mm -hmm. were not to do with the market, but they were to do with how the leadership and management ran the business. And I, I was like, wow, gee, that is a timely reminder. Um, mm. It's not the way the wind blows, but it's how you set the sails. Mm. It, Nine out of ten times, boats sink, not because of the way the wind blew, but because of the way you set the sails. And you've got to take some confidence from that and go, okay, all right, how then do we reset sails? How do we undergo change? Um, because if we don't know how to do that process well, then, yeah, we will fail. So... There's, quick question, quick question hmm. on that before you um, continue. Just like with all the um, data and research um, that's uh, processed through Waymaker, mm -hmm. would you find that um, that would be true of uh, internal surveys of, of employees that they would acknowledge that or would it be more, would they be blaming external forces, market forces or is, or is it a lot more transparent in that space? Well, I, I, th I think the word you said there, blame, is an interesting one. Yeah. 
<laughs> because when things go wrong, yeah, there's very few of us that don't begin to blame. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Turn the spotlight on ourselves. We that's don't right. do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're very bad at that. Yeah. Um, whereas in reality, what this research is saying is stop blaming the market. Yeah. Um, uh, and rather stop start being who you're meant to be as leaders and managers yeah. and executing with the discipline you should be executing with because if you're not being who you're meant to be, then you're going to open up the risks. And um, that's, you know, you've raised a great point. We see lots of data. We see lots of organisations. That doesn't really make us any better than anybody else. Um, we simply use that data to help your data get more accurate um, and we simply acknowledge that nine out of ten problems are between your two ears and only one out of ten are outside your ears. Mm. And that's reflected in that's reflected in the feedback through through the yeah, way. Yeah, I, I think I think it's reflected in um, in many things. But I think the the thing you've got to do with that insight is stop. And this is really hard. I find this really hard. But you've got to stop and you've got to be able to go, okay, what does that say about me? Mm. Um, and I've got, to, I've got to do that. What does that say about me before I say what does that say about we mm. and before I say what does that say about them? Yeah. Um, it starts with me then to my team, and then to the broader. And that's that's really hard. You've got to really stop and go, what am I doing that's, that I've got to do better? Yeah. And when you start thinking like that, you start leading yourself. Mm -hmm. And as you lead yourself, you can lead others, and as you can lead others, you can lead others to lead others. And we've talked about that ad nauseum. Mm. So there's a there's – a, <clears throat> There's an art here, and I'm, I think we could put a big context of resilience here mm -hmm. um, because in, in stormy times, tough times, um, uh, resilience is a word that gets thrown about a lot, but it's often a very misunderstood word. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to bring some clarity to resilience. Give me your best definition of resilience. Oh, gee, really? Best definition? <laughs> <clears throat> well, you, you said something before as we were just just chatting off air that I wrote down, yeah, which I quite liked. Yeah, th this is the um, official Waymaker <laughs> Stewie Leo definition of resilience. Yep. Resilience is the ability to undergo significant change with no loss to identity. Yep. So resilience, resilience is the ability to undergo significant change with no loss to identity. Yep. So that means we've got to work out how do we undergo change whilst becoming clearer, sharper, and better versions of ourselves. Because mm. usually when you're getting pressure from outside forces or even inside forces, whatever, you're, you're actually second-guessing identity that's actually when you kind of go oh maybe i'm maybe that's i'm right. not this or maybe we don't stand for this or maybe that's not our goal because yeah. like that's the first thing that we would tend to do right yeah we start to second guess our own internal makeup and as yep. an organization we we start to second guess our own internal ideas and and um principles and core values and uh, the dna of what makes us us interestingly 
here in Australia, and I know lots of people listen to this podcast in other parts of the world, but here in Australia, the Reserve Bank of Australia did a piece of research in 2017 around why organisations fail. Hmm. And um, they found a really interesting insight that I, I think speaks to resilience uh, in, in that um, one of the um, conclusions was that the, the, the critical moment for an organisation was actually at about age 30 um, where the structure of ownership and control had distanced, so you had boards disconnected to companies, ownership disconnected from control of outcomes. Mm. And um, the most common failure was actually in public companies older than 30 years, at about that 30-year mark. And, and they, had, they, had, they had distanced uh, the space between those that owned and those that delivered outcomes. And there's a massive lesson in that. Mm. Um, you can get too big, even if you're a small business, or you can get too disconnected, and the people that are driving the outcomes don't have a sense of ownership and control. Therefore, the outcomes they create tend to not be in the best interests of both the shareholders and the employees, and ultimately mm. that determines critical failure. So it's not just young companies that face this. It doesn't matter what age you are. It matters your current leadership maturity. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that means, you know, you've got to ensure that the leadership maturity that your organisation has right now is competent and capable of undergoing change without loss to identity. You've got to do things and do things differently maybe to the way you did them last quarter or last year, but you can't lose identity. You've got to strengthen identity, and that's the big insight. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I guess you, that's the big question then that we want to kind of unpack is like how do we undergo this significant change without losing identity? Like what are the yeah, what there's are a the leadership, tools? Like, there's a leadership the lesson here and then there's some practical examples, and I think yep. let's deal with the leadership lesson. The leadership lesson is – um, do I, as a leader, understand the core identity of this organisation? Yep. Um, and do I, as a leader of leaders, therefore the we, do we know what makes us us? Mm -hmm. Do we know, therefore, what we should be strengthening and what we should be weakening? Okay. And so um, because it doesn't mean you don't change. It doesn't mean you don't do things. Differently, It just means that you've got to know, well, hang on, if we do that bit differently, that takes us into a space where that's no longer us. Mm. And if that's no longer us, then we've had a loss of identity, which means we're doing things in a, such a way that our customers and our people won't recognise us. We're out of character, mm. if we want to put it in other words. Yeah, it'd be which like is, you just like rocking up for a barbecue at my place wearing gangster <laughs> Who says I don't? You've never worn gangster. <laughs> nor, nor have you been gangster. <laughs> what would be my gangster name? No, don't answer that. Um, exactly. You're like, I don't even know what gangster looks like. But if I, <laughs> let's just say, not us. <laughs> two little white boys from the yeah, suburbs. Yeah. Um, uh, 
I think you're exactly right. If I rocked up to your barbecue um, wearing a velvet tracksuit, <laughs> dripping in gold necklaces yeah. with two or three <laughs> lovely ladies. I was going to say ladies, quoting LEG. Quoting <laughs> LEG. <laughs> wearing the sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. Um, good old LEG. You know, that's just, yeah, it's out of character. It's And so what happens is customers go, hey, that's not that's not the promise I received. That's not the experience I receive. Employees go, hey, that's not the company I signed up with. Mm. And dissonance emerges. And um, if those changes aren't true to character and positive, Mm. um, then that dissonance is going to scale into negativity. And ultimately people won't trust you because you're not being who you are. And and so – the art of undergoing change, significant change, with no loss of identity, but rather a strengthening of identity, mm-hmm. is is resilience. And um, many people think resilience is is just surviving. Wow, congratulations, you survived. Um, <laughs> that's not necessarily resilience. That's survival. Yeah, survival's a byproduct. Yeah, you know. Um, resilience is coming through that circumstance stronger, better, faster, more confident, more hopeful than what you were before. That's yep. resilience. And um, and so as organisations, good organisations will shift their mindset into a resilience mindset. Mm-hmm. And a resilience mindset says we are going to be very clear as leaders on what defines us. Therefore, these are the things we will strengthen and deepen. Mm-hmm. These are the things that don't define us. Therefore, these are the things that we will use, break, give away, not use. Like that's all up for grabs. Mm-hmm. And 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 so they can be things. Here's some examples. They can be things like this because we we have in our model, in our diagnostic engine and model, we yep. we we break it into a series of six parts. The the engine. And they really revolve around, you know, this organisation exists to solve this problem, therefore this is our purpose. Mm-hmm. That's number one. You know, yep. that's question one in our seven questions. Yep. What is our vision? Is it driven by our purpose? What's holding us back? So so this underlying sense of purpose. Do yep. we know why we exist? Yes, we yep. exist to solve this problem. If we're not solving this problem and trying to solve other problems, we are out of character. That is the first thing where we go, we don't deviate from that. Yep. Unless, of course, that problem no longer exists, but that would be very surprising. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Two, we go, great. Here is what the market believes about us and what we want to be believed about because this is who we are. These are the perceptions held in the marketplace. Um, we do these things. Um, if I go to Ikea, I can get cheap, good-looking flat-packed, affordable Mm. furniture with a side of meatballs. Um, uh, If I go and I get some weird design furniture that's not Scandinavian and I have to get it delivered in six weeks because it's got to be made offshore and shipped into the country, I'm like, that's not what IKEA does. Mm. Something's out of character. The the perceptions are out. Um, That's two. Um, positioning. Yep. Um, if suddenly I was a premium product and now you're selling me off for cheap, well, hang on a minute, that's out of character. Or if suddenly I was affordable and now you're charging me a premium, hang on a minute, that's out of character. Um, and I- interestingly, positioning 
price positioning was one of the common areas that caused organisations to fail. Um, they pushed their price too hard, too far. They thought more of what they were. Hey, let um, me give you an example. Let me give you a real-world example of positioning, yeah. which was like seemed very out of character, and this is a little bit close to home because I used to work for them. But um, uh, Bose. Oh, yeah, one uh, of my went, favourites. W- yeah, they went through uh, – I don't know whether they did it in the US, but basically they, they had high-end stores. It was like, you know, it was almost appointment over. It was like competing against the bank, uh, you know, appointment B&O, only. Yeah. It was like they were competing against the BNOs and all that sort of stuff and stores yep. all around Australia and stuff. Um, they went through a process of closing down all their stores and basically just putting little little stands in your JB high fives, your good guys, you like, and, mm. and, and completely went from a positioning of premium market to consumer... You know, just like the others, alongside a Sony or a Panasonic or or yep. a J, JBL, yeah. Um, and I don't know, that was pretty jarring. Like for anybody that knew Bose as a premium, now yep. some people hate Bose, so that's fine. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the audio files out there, but but that was a massive shift in positioning, which seemed out of out of whack, out of with, character. Yeah, yeah. Um, I only knew Bose. Um, in the late 90s to early 2000s as go to the Bose store, amazing sound, yep. experience those little cubes, like as this premium sound offering, not as a stupidly rich, yep. like a B&O or a, some of the other, you know, $100,000 yep. speaker moment, <sighs> but rather the, you know, it sat in the high quality premium sound offering. Yep. And, <clears throat> and you had had a different buying experience that matched that. You had a different product design, the yep. little cubes. Um, you know, it was it was it was better sound through research. It really lived its promise to customers. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I think they shot themselves in the foot to be I think so. I, I mean I don't know what the numbers say. Maybe the numbers are great. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but the the reality was the last Five sound products hmm. I've put in my house. Only one of them has been Bose, yeah. and I bought that secondhand. The other, uh, the other, I I bought from Apple. Yeah. Um, and now I've in my garage. I have a lifestyle system with its fancy little cubes sitting in a box unused. Um, that was probably worth ten thousand dollars. 10 or 15 years ago. That you can't sell on eBay now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the way, does anybody want to buy it? Um, <laughs> no, um, Sorry, not, not Slag and Bose because I actually no, love their sound. I love I, the sound quality. I'm just saying that the, they, went full of re, they, they went through a repositioning where yeah. they went from premium to mass market. Yeah, and they lost something there. Yeah. So now when I – in fact, my sister rang me up the other day saying I'm trying to connect my TV to my living room to this. And yeah, yeah. I was like, well, just go and buy an Apple mini HomePod thing. Like, yeah. like that's the best. Whereas because you, I could have been saying go and buy a Bose HomePod. Yeah. Um, but I, I wasn't. I was mm. some other brand had gone, we're going to do better research and we're going to create a better sound product. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that great example of losing your positioning and then losing the aspiration and customer for it. And if you're from Bose, send us an email. We'd love to know if we're talking BS. Um, uh, or I'm sure there was a very powerful why behind it. 
<laughs> but they had to completely change their narrative in the market. Yeah, yeah it's a big shift. That's and so yeah. so yeah, people lose trust because the character has shifted. Yeah. Um, what else we 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 decried around. Um, uh, practices and proposition. So yes. this is what we do. Therefore, this is what we promise. So, you know, if if um, if you were buying <clears throat> an airline ticket and suddenly British Airways said, um, no, no, you have to um, pick your seat. It's a it's a race to your seat. Um, we don't allocate seats. Um, you'd go, whoa, that's not how British Airways operates. Mm. That's how Jetstar Australia operates. Um, so we're talking integrity there, right? It was just like let your yes be yes, your no be no. Like like back up what you say with what you do. Type. Is, yeah, it's, is, it's the- you've gone out and you've promised this to market in your yep. in your in your value proposition, and 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 therefore it's the way you do things. Yep. It's like recently with Netflix. Netflix said we'll give you unlimited TV and movies with no return fees and no ads. Hmm. What do they do? They just launch a service or they're about to launch a service with ads. With ads, yeah. yeah. And so they're just like everybody else now as opposed to sticking to their guns. So you've got to say, was no ads something that defined Netflix? Mm. Maybe it was. But in the pursuit of money, they've sacrificed that level of um, DNA to say, all right, we're going to become something. Now, is that a loss or a gain to that identity? In my book, it's a loss. Mm. Because I know that they may never have had to do it if we didn't all share our logins with Arnie Vell. Yeah, that's true. That's hundred percent true. But they could have also turned around and fixed that problem as opposed to creating another one. Yeah. You know, this is just me, the external commentator talking. But I'm trying to give an example here. Yeah, exactly. When yep. companies make significant changes to what they're doing, is this something that speaks to their identity, or is yep. this something that is just how they do it? Yep. They probably argue, no, just not having ads is just how we do things, as opposed to their loyal followers who were the early adopters of Netflix that bought in saying, we'll pay you something so that yep. we don't have to have ads. You know, yep. it's kind of like if I, I pay YouTube to not have ads, fantastic. Mm. But if YouTube suddenly went, we're going to introduce a new fee structure where, you know, you can upgrade to not have ads. Mm. Well, that's kind of what Netflix just did to its customers. Yeah. You know, it's anyway, I think you're getting the point. Mm-hmm. The other two are our personality, how we look, feel, touch, act, yep. and our principles, what we believe and, and what we hold dear to in, in our organisation. And so, you know, if, if you're a leader going, how do I adopt a resilience mindset? A resilient, this is for an organisation, not for an individual, for an organisation. Yep. A resilience mindset says we as leaders understand why we exist, what we are understood as in the marketplace, the position we hold, the practices and proposition we provide, the personality we are, mm-hmm. and the principles we believe in. And if we can get clear on those things, then whatever those things are, that's your DNA. Yep. If you start messing with that, you start creating a dissonance because people experience you out of character. And that out of character is either going to be negative or positive. So when it comes to when it comes to transforming, changing, achieving growth in, in hard times, it's getting really clear as leaders and this is the line we won't cross, even if we go backwards. Because sometimes to going backwards for a quarter is better than underground for life. Mm. Well, let me 
throw a scenario at you, Stu, just to give you an example of um, a change in wind. Yes. So let's say you're positioned as a premium brand. Yep. Um, you're not positioning on price. Uh, you're positioning on quality, customer service, all that sort of stuff. You're a premium brand. And uh, the butt Is falls out of the market. Nobody's yep. got disposable income anymore. And all of a sudden everything that I've anchored my business on as a premium brand is taking a hit because of market forces. Um, how would I maintain my resilience if I go, no, 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 we are a premium brand? Yeah. Well, the first thing you got to ask is, does our premium brand solve a premium problem? Yeah. Or are we a nice to have? Mm. Great question. So, and that's the context of purpose to perceptions to positioning. Yep. Your positioning should be reflective of what the market wants and what the market wants should be something that the market needs in terms of a problem being solved. Your positioning shouldn't come before your purpose. So <clears throat> does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Purpose, perceptions, positioning, to get that context right. Right. So it's, so it's um, lineal. Linear. It, I, would, I, I would prefer to say contextual. Okay, sure. Because <laughs> um, linear indicates that once you get to the end, you can stop. Sure. Whereas um, uh, contextual says once you get through all six, start again. Yeah. It's, or it's, I can't take this into account in isolation from the other things. Correct. Yeah. Or if this, then that. You know, it's got to go up the line and down the line. It's yep. not, okay. it's not uh, purely linear. Yeah. So, well, a really good example of that. Um, and we always use big brands in this podcast because that's what people know. Yep. Um, well, that would be Apple during the GFC. Mm -hmm. Apple's not a Apple's a premium brand. You yep. pay a lot of money for plastic and a few chips. Mm -hmm. Let's be frank. Um, the reality was <clears throat> Apple performed really well throughout that period. Yep, because their premium. Offerings <clears throat> were on products that solved a real problem. Yeah. Yep. On top of that, they did things like um, provide – I think that's when SE came out, when they tried to um, – Create a cheaper phone. Create a – yeah. You, you don't have to position on price. You just have mm. to be attainable on price. Yeah. Okay. And – and I remember having this conversation a lot of times in 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 a, in a previous career in in um, like property and real estate when affordable housing is is the hot topic, and housing doesn't always have to be affordable; it has to be attainable. So, can I buy it versus is it the cheapest? And that's a different idea. Attainable property is different from affordable property. An attainable product is different from an affordable product. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. So if I'm solving a deep problem and my product becomes attainable, even though it's in a premium positioning, then I'm in a great spot. So yeah, okay. Apple going, we're going to hold our premium. We're going to give you an SE. It's going to have some features you don't have. It doesn't have the cool camera. It's going to be less memory and whatever. I can't remember the attributes of the SE. But for those people who are buying a cheaper smartphone in the Samsung ecosystem that wanted the premium offering of the Apple ecosystem, here's a way in yep. and you can afford it. 
Does that make sense? Mm. That's, a, that's a probably a really good example. Um, <clears throat> um, there are lots of other examples as well. Uh, the launch of premium economy um, in aeroplanes, mm. which was something that emerged in response to the um, shift from first class to business. Yep. Um, because business people didn't want to be seen to be in first class. Um, right. uh, you, you know, that's that's egotistical. That's first class. That's the ivory tower. Oh, but I'm a business guy. Oh, let's take business class. Business class was just first class by another name for people that didn't want to justify flying first class. <laughs> that's, that's all it was. And half the price. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, and, and then was launched, well, now suddenly business class is seen as the high-flying, highfalutin, that's just for the CEOs. Um, well, premium economy gives you something that's not cattle class. And yep. does that make sense? Yeah, it's, I just want I just want my legs to fit. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've you've got a height problem. I've got a width problem. Uh, sure, <laughs> but I mean, co- premium economy is an absolute contradiction. It's it's like that's right. It's an oxymoron. Yeah, it's like, fast slow. <laughs> that's right. I yeah. want to travel fast slow. Yeah. Okay, we'll put you in premium economy. What the yeah. heck does that mean? Um, yeah. But it's a great example of delivering value to a deep need. Have okay. I sort of answered that? Yeah, no, it's really good. I, I want to throw one more at you before we move on. Yeah, yeah. Which is, okay, well, out of those six then, which one do you think people give ground on too quickly, too easily? <sighs> Gee, that's a good question. I, well, I haven't written any of these questions down for you, so well, yeah, I'm just yeah, shooting yeah. from the hip. <clears throat> I would say um, positioning and principles which is revealed, it's shown Mm. in the personality Mm. um, and in time the perceptions. Let me justify that. All right. Um, So uh, let's take take a premium airline selling cheap airfares. Yep. So Qantas Qantas. selling Qantas. Let's let's uh, okay. Let's use Qantas. Qantas um, cut deep and heavy early in COVID. Yeah, I, I remember watching um, uh, what's his name, Alan Joyce. Alan Joyce um, early on in COVID, um, and he, he said this this will be a survival of the fittest moment in the Australian airline industry, mm. um, and and he fired thousands of baggage handlers and hosties and just took a deep, 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 deep cut. And early on in COVID, it looked like the right thing to do. I think I might have even said that on this podcast. Um, However, it suddenly became the wrong thing to do because the bounce back from COVID wasn't like a soft landing with a gentle decline. Mm. It was like a bungee cord that went down and then back up almost as high and as hard and as fast. And suddenly, you know, it was chaos out in airports. I think it was the same in America. In fact, I remember being on a flight in America. I turned up at an, at an airport in Gainesville, Florida. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, sir, your flight to Charlotte um, and then on to LA and then home to Brisbane has been cancelled. Um, we can't get you to Charlotte. Oh, okay, but we can put you on a flight from Miami to LA. Okay, you've just got to drive two and a half hours. <laughs> so jumped in a car. And why? Because somebody had called in sick. There wasn't enough hosties. 
yeah. jumped on the flight, um, made it to Miami, sitting on the tarmac in Miami and one of those big storms rolls through in the Gulf um, and suddenly it's chaos. Um, captain's like, no, we're not taking off for three hours. Um, I'm sitting there, gosh, uh-oh, I'm not going to make my flight into LA. And the hostie is in front of me. Um, I was in one of those seats where um, the hostie sits in front of you. And uh, and, I, and I said to her, oh, like, what time are we going to get in? Because I'm on a flight from LA to Brisbane at mm. like 10 o'clock or something. And she goes, yeah. She goes, and, and I think it was on an American Airlines flight. She mm. goes, yeah, I'm on, I'm on a Southwest flight coming out of LA at nine. I said, oh, like, do you work like different yeah, airlines? <laughs> She's like, I'm just working 24-7. And right. she was just hopping from- Contracting out to like just, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly she must have been employed by one of yeah, those yeah, groups yeah. that just put hosties on planes. Um, I assume they do that. Uh, and she was just a hostie on wherever she mm. needed to be a hostie. And, and like she could, if she wanted to work 24-7, she could. And mm. the only thing holding her back and me right at that moment was a storm flowing through Miami. Yeah. And the, the point being, how did we get onto this? Um, uh, you, you said that- People Choice that cut. Quick. Yeah. yeah. So suddenly there wasn't enough staff yep. that were trained and equipped to deliver on the type of service that many of these airlines had promised to customers. Mm. So here in Australia especially, there was like, if if you remember it, like six, nine months of just Qantas has gone downhill. Yep. Qantas is no longer the old Qantas. Um, because they had cut so deeply into their people and – that had affected how they did things, their proposition to market, mm -hmm. which then affected the personality of the staff, um, which then affected their positioning in market. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, that's a, I think that's a really good example of when you think you're doing the right thing by cutting, but in effect you were kind of cutting out part of your heart, part mm -hmm. of your DNA. Um, and, and nobody knew then when – those decisions were being made, how quickly the marketplace would rebound. We all thought this is the end of the world. Yeah. Um, but it did rebound and now Qantas suffers deeply, particularly here in Australia, around, mm. well, you're not really as good as what we thought you were. Yeah. Sorry, Qantas. If you if you choose to hire <laughs> still Waymaker, you might become better. <laughs> <laughs> so practices, um, you're saying, is mm -hmm. – is, can be like just you, the, something to audit to just check and make sure that that's not the first thing that, you, that you're starting to shift on because that's going to ultimately impact position, personality. Yeah, a lot of pe yeah, a lot of people compromising your principles. I often get asked, "You, what do you mean by practices? What what is that? Yeah, like, what does that really mean? Yeah." And I would say practices, and it sits in the business, it actually sits in question five in these seven questions that run our diagnostic and part yeah. of the way make a way. Um, and question five is what is our business model? Is it creating value? What metrics tell us this? And what practices underpin the competitive advantages of our value proposition? That's a really complex question when you think about it deeply, but what practices underpin the competitive advantages of our value proposition. Mm -hmm. So going back to Netflix, one of the practices, the things, the way they did, the things they did that underpinned their value proposition, the competitive advantages, was no ads. Mm. 
Mm. We're not going to serve you ads. Mm. We don't do ads. That's a practice. We don't do ads. Um, that's the value proposition. That that practice underpins yep. the competitive advantages of that value proposition. If you come to Netflix, you get unlimited TVs and movies with no late fees and no ads. Oh, sorry. Scratch out that last bit. We do ads now if you want cheap Netflix. Huh? Why couldn't you come up with cheap Netflix without ads? Yeah. Then you could have been true to yourself. Yep. Well, okay. While we're on subscription services, then are we just having a big whinge in yeah, this no, podcast? No, no. Is this just like, like you're just using like examples, kicking like, off the year with a rant? This is great. I like this. Um, it's like but, therapy. Okay, so like Disney Plus, which I no longer subscribe to, but um, sad story, to say, we right? still but, do. Oh, do you? <laughs> um, so Disney Plus, uh, when obviously when COVID lockdown and all the rest of it, all their theater releases, they said, okay, we're going to release this on Disney Plus, but it's yeah. going to cost you thirty nine. You know, right. dollars to to watch this premium release, and part of me was like, "Oh, hang on a minute! I've already subscribed, mm. and now you've just thrown on another tier." That's right. Now, now sure, if I was going to take my whole family to a Disney movie, it would cost me a hundred. So, you know, but it felt like a I don't know, a little a little bit a of sneaky, a, bit of yeah, a sneaky. Yeah, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a pat on the back while I. Punch you in the face. <laughs> yeah, just give me some more money. Oh, <laughs> I was going to use a crude example then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's a good example, isn't it? it? Because when you bought the streaming service, you bought a set of practices that said, I'm going to get whatever you put on this platform. That's right. And then suddenly they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You've added another one. It's plus plus. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but the maths on that just doesn't add up because if plus plus is just a plus. Hmm. Yeah, that was a bad joke, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna move this conversation along. Um, oh gosh, yep. So we've got so you know our six P's. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we want to talk about okay. Well, as a leader, then how do I how do I set a better sale? Like like I'm, I'm, these right. are the questions that I'm asking, right? Yeah, go, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, <clears throat> I'm staying true to who I am. Blah blah blah. But what are the things that I need to be cool. practicing yeah. as a business leader? We've put out space. We've put out a little resource. Mm-hmm. Um, called Five Leadership Plays for Smarter Growth, mm-hmm. um, uh, brackets in tough times. Right. Um, and there are five things you can do as a leader. Um, uh, the first thing you can do is go and get the resource. Um, <laughs> right, there are six things that you <laughs> There are six do. things you can do. Um, then you'd have to listen to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> um, uh, five things, um, you, really basic things that you can do that will make significant changes um, in your organisation right now? Would you yeah. like to know what those five things Please are? Please tell me what they are and Let's- don't make me pay extra. <laughs> <laughs> do, we, do we make people pay for this podcast? No, I don't think no, we do. Think so. Yeah, here's, here you go. Here's one for free. Um, and, and these are all in this little ebook, and you can read about it and you can get the sell on why you should use Waymaker software or you can just listen to this now and just do it. I do really it. don't care so long as you build a better business um, and come back and tell us about it. Yeah. Number one, leaders find the most valuable growth gaps. Yep. Yep. So when the wind changes... Um, there's lots of gaps. There's lots of things you need to do, but what are the most valuable? Yep. And and you need to know how to find the most valuable, not the most urgent, yep. not the most sometimes even important, going around Stephen Covey's little matrix, mm-hmm. um, the most valuable. Yep. And that's often not the thing that you want to do first. 
Yeah, okay. And, you know, we use this language around what are the one or two things that That's if right. you implement yeah. these this quarter will shift yeah. the needle on your business. That's it. Question seven, yeah. what are the one, two or three things that if done or delivered in the next quarter or half, shift the needle on this business? Um, and and you want those things to be valuable. Yep. Okay, That's great. It. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Do easy. that. That's yeah. easy. Do those things. Well, yeah. how do you know if it's valuable? Um that's a hard question. Um, you've that's actually, where the diagnostic comes in though, right? Yeah, yeah. You could run our diagnostic. It's going to help you start to do this. Sell, sell, sell. There you go. Plug, plug, plug. You yeah. are listening to the Waymaker podcast. That's true. Yeah. Um, but in reality, what's valuable? Well, which, which things um, support your value proposition and then the rest of your DNA? Do those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do those. Like, that's why I think, yeah, like it's – Companies like Netflix should get a walloping on the market when they say we're going to do something that defies our value proposition because yeah. they've been making a promise for 20 years and then didn't do it. Yeah. Yep. All right. What's number two then, Stu? Oh, number two is really easy. Um, number two is set clear goals. And if you want to set a clear goal, then you can use our AI-powered goal-setting tools inside Waymaker and go and set a clear goal. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not rocket science, but it is a science. And clear goals, um, you could use the old SMART acronym. They're specific, they're measurable, they're accountable, they're realistic, and they're time-bound. Did that spell SMART? Yep. Um and a great goal inside Waymaker has a really good what with a bunch of hows. And uh, those hows will always be metrics that you're shifting. Yeah. And this is, I would say, I didn't, when we first started the Waymaker journey, I would say I massively underestimated a typical leader's capacity to write a good goal. There you I'd, go. I would say, in general, nine out. This is the specific general gut statistic. Mm. Um, 9.1 people out of 10 suck at writing good goals. Right, because they're not – they're too fluffy. Too yeah. fluffy. Too fluffy. Too ambiguous. And ambiguous. They're like tasks. They don't shift a needle. Yeah. Untrackable. Yeah. Um, not stretched enough but not realistic enough. Mm. Just suck, man. Mm. Just so suck. So a computer on every desk in America, Microsoft. A, yeah, by whenever. That was a great yeah. goal. Yeah. Right. Great so goal. It's a great goal. Wasn't, it's a great goal. Wasn't ambiguous? No. No. Okay. It's a great goal. What were the tasks? <laughs> <laughs> Probably a few hundred tasks. I've tasks in that one. But what I, I mean, that's not the best example for this context. The context we're saying here is um, if you have an employee and they don't have a clear goal, that's yep. not their fault. Mm. It's actually your fault. You're the person that employed them. Mm. It's What's your- that, does that create? Can I call on another leadership podcast? Yeah, uh, yeah, Craig yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Who, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who said, um, he said, we spend so much time saying our people haven't when we should be going, we have not led them to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been listening to the Waymaker podcast. Um, <laughs> the- <laughs> um, Shout out to Craig. Are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> You can, you can apply, mate. Just go to join our list. We'll bring you on the podcast if you're good enough. Um, the Yeah, it, it's – look, 
it's a hard truth. Um, uh, but this this is why I think this is one of those underestimated things in business. I, nobody taught me how to write a good goal in university, or if they did, I didn't listen. Mm. Um, I didn't really learn it um, in work. I didn't see it exampled very well. Um, you know, it's a skill that I think you've got to go and pursue. And I reckon if you can learn how to do this skill, mm. you will stand out from the crowd as a leader. Like, unbelievable, unbelievable. Because this is the heart of leadership, set a clear goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, number three. Number three. What was our number three? Number three, number three. Um, we've got whole podcasts on this, but yes. leaders run effective meetings. Um they increase efficiency, they improve decision-making, they boost team morale, they improve communication. And if you're listening to me going, Stu, that is utter BS. No meeting increases efficiency, improves decision-making, boosts mm -hmm. team morale and improves communication, then you are in the wrong meetings. And uh, our little software will help you be in the right meetings. And if you want to know more about running a good meeting, then go and check out episode Something, how to not suck. All right, you're talking, meetings. I'll look that up. Yeah. How to um, not suck at meetings. I think we did it last year. It was, that was, was it? what it was called, wasn't it? Yeah, how to not suck at meetings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We got some uh, good feedback on that one. <laughs> we did actually. Probably via text during a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I think it went something like that. Number four, here we go. Number four, yeah. bringing us home, um, is leaders hire better people. Um and wish we could do more on this, but leaders um, leaders know that better people make a better business mm. and that they've got to hire better people and then they've got to make those better people better. So how do you do that? Um, and we take the view that if you're going to build a better business, you've, you've got to build not just a better engine, you know, what's the underlying engine that drives this business, but what's, mm. how do you build a better, better leader? And so our two diagnostics, one is around the business mm. and the other one is around the leader, helping leaders be better leaders. And so if you haven't used our leadership diagnostic, then you are missing out. Um, so quick practical question here is that a lot of businesses, especially when they're in growth mode, um, have that balance between getting the best person but getting that person within a perceived salary or budget. Yep. Um, and I feel like that a lot of people are always compromising between those two realities. I want mm. the best people, but I can't afford the best people. So this is a huge topic and we're going to go just down the rabbit hole for a minute, sure. which is really bad. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to spawn more podcasts and a book. <laughs> okay, good. Because I've got a term for this. Yeah. And I only came up with it in the car with my wife the other day because – we live in a world that, um, that doesn't let us achieve what we need to achieve and earn what we need to earn. And let me put some context to this. Too often as an employee, I'm told that this is your salary. Yep. Maybe there's a bonus or something, but too often this is my salary and this is what you do. But we've created a world that is different and worse than what I'm going to call the agricultural economy, 
But back in the day, you ate what you grew and you ate what you killed. <laughs> and if you couldn't grow and if you couldn't kill, you couldn't you eat. eat. It was an outcome-driven economy. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. We've created this new industrialised economy that is a task-driven economy. And I think people want to live, and I've got this working title for this, in what is called the ranch economy. Okay. Where I want to live where I can eat what I kill. Just tell me what you want me to kill. Bad analogy. (laughs) Tell me the outcomes you want me to achieve and I'll go deliver the outcomes. If I achieve those outcomes... Compensate me accordingly. Yeah. Let me eat what I kill, or at least eat a portion of what I kill. Mm. This is often easy to do in sales departments, but very hard to do in all the others. Yeah. And so I think this idea, I've gone totally off script here, and this is just a, a, an idea for me. script, so yes, carry on. But I think people want to live in what I'm going to call the ranch economy. It's an economy where you're rewarded on outcomes, not on a never-ending task list. Mm-hmm. And, your, and your reward scale then shifts and changes based on outcomes. That's right, that which means yep. your problem disappears. Yep, yep. If it's I like, work hard, I'm going to earn more. Correct. I'm employed to do this role. No, I'm employed to achieve these outcomes. So if I want these outcomes met mm. and if you win and I win, mm. then those outcomes should be scalable. I should be paying you a million dollars if you're achieving those outcomes. Mm. Steve, Therefore, this is socialism versus capitalism is where you're going here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I honestly think capitalists create socialist structures inside their organisations. Yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah, it's terrible. Like yeah. you want to live in a ranch. I'm, I'm going to call it the ranch economy because on a right. ranch economy, you is that the you, name of your book? That's that. All right, you can yeah shortlist it right now. Um, Stu's throwing all his IP out now, so we can timestamp it. (laughs) Oh man, don't do that to me. But I think this is the idea. If you give me outcomes and don't distract me with wasted time, and you equip and empower me to deliver those outcomes, I will go and get those outcomes, and I may even get more. Mm. I may even get like ninety percent close, which is Mm. great if ninety percent close is still winning. Yep. Therefore, reward me on what I produce yes. and let me eat what I kill and then I will do as much and as possible mm. by my own self-motivation. Yeah, yeah. But put me in an environment where it doesn't matter if I do or don't get rewarded by delivering on those and make me sit through unending layers of complexity and bureaucracy. And you know what? Yeah, I'll punch a clock. I'll quietly quit. Mm. I'm done. Just Mm. give me my paycheck and you'll get the bare minimum to stop firing me. F you, boss. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, any great leader just wants employees that can lift their eyes to the horizon. I like that phrase. And and if if you're a leader and you've got those people, reward them for effort. 100% 100% yeah. and outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, outcomes. I, yeah. so I think, I think an outcome-driven world is what I'm going to call the ranch economy. 
Because okay. it's like ranch, the old agricultural idea of eat what you kill, grow what you eat. Hmm. Um, economy, it is an economy. You've got to reward it. And to be to be honest, I don't want anybody on my team that doesn't know what a great outcome looks like hmm. and can't strive towards excelling beyond it. Hmm. And if they can do that, and if they can deliver back to the ranch hmm. something above and beyond, then absolutely, yeah. You are rewarded on that journey. I don't. I, I think where I think the market forces are moving there. I think the the market forces are saying, you know what, I'm going to work in places where it doesn't matter where I work, doesn't matter necessarily even how or what tools I do, mm. so long as I deliver the outcomes. Yep. Yep. Does that make sense? That's good. Question five: As we bring this puppy home. Oh gee. Yeah. If you've listened this far, well done. Send me an email <laughs> and I will give you a free copy of the book that's not written yet called The Ranch Economy. <laughs> yes, do it. <laughs> I'm just I'm sending you an email now. <laughs> <laughs> number five. I can't remember what number five was. Number, number five. five. Let's show, let us show the way. Uh, yeah, let us show the way. Um, what's, what's our way make of a mantra? Um, show the way, build the system, train the leader, hold them accountable, help them win. If you just want to memorise that and do that. So leaders show the way. So I'm going to do it. First thing I'm going to do is do it. Mm. Then I'm going to build a system so that you can do it easier than the way I did it. And I'm going to train you on it so that you're better than me. Mm. Leaders show the way, build the system, train the next leader. So mm. I've trained you now how to be better than me because I've, I've, I'm letting you stand on the shoulders of giants on this system but I'm now going to hold you accountable, which means I want you to deliver and I'm going to hold you accountable to that delivery. Yeah. And if anything goes astray, my underlying deep motivation is to help you win because when you win, I win. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the ranch economy. Gee, I've got to stop saying that because that's um, – <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> still, you're still fleshing it out. Still, right. Yeah, yeah. Open spacing so, right now. All right. So we're finding the gaps. We're setting clear goals. We're running effective meetings. We are hiring better people that provide outcomes. Um, yeah. And, and we're, um, we're showing and we're, away. And we're really wearing really cool jackets, like on a on a Montana <laughs> ranch, like Kevin Costner in yes. Yellowstone. Uh, classic. Um, uh, Stu, good chats. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Should uh, we bid no, this one? No, Are we no, going to no, publish this, this one? This is excellent. Uh, um, oh dear. Uh, where can people get a copy of this uh, five leadership plays that you speak of? <laughs> Waymaker. Waymaker.io slash learn. Mm-hmm. Or just, just go to Waymaker.io, choose ebooks in the menu, resources, ebooks. Yep. Um, and you'll find it. Yeah, great. Awesome. Well, if, uh, if you or if you say it out loud a couple of times near your mobile phone, then <laughs> you're guaranteed Facebook to get an ad on Google, it at some you're point. You're going to get an ad on it at some point. So, <laughs> uh, good point. All right. Well, um, five leadership players. Five leadership players. Five, five leadership, leadership players. Plays. Um, hey, I, I've learned a lot from this conversation. So thanks, mate. Um, and uh, good kickoff to season three. Season so, three, we are in. We're ready to go. All right. And as usual, waymaker.io if you want to uh, figure out how to make business improvement business as usual. 